0: This last message is on the preaching of Jesus. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Jesus, when the time he started his public ministry, was constantly preaching. The difference is that he didn't just show up in Jerusalem and say, I'm going to start a new synagogue, tell people to come here and listen to me preach. Instead, he took his disciples and traveled. And so My question for you is, if you have thought about the preaching of Jesus, what would you say was the one central message that he started with and continued with? Have you thought about that? There there was one central preaching message that Jesus began with and would end with. Mark chapter one um, says this, Jesus went into Galilee this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. And his followers would have heard him say this. And he said the, the time is now. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is now. Repent and believe the gospel. That, that's what Jesus started with. This one central message Go proclaim the gospel as followers of Christ. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe the gospel. That was Jesus' preaching message. And that came in various forms. And I was thinking uh, about this message and, and how to kind of wrap up this series. And I thought, I don't want to make this more complicated than what it is. This this gospel message that Jesus taught his followers is the same gospel message he handed to us to take and to proclaim. And then I began to think a little bit about what was the difficulty people had believing the gospel? Was it unique to them or is it something that pertains to us? And obviously the answer is we have the same issue that they had. And that's this. We like to minimize our sin. And when we do that, we minimize the holiness, the goodness of God. I was thinking that uh, when I bought my first car, actually, I guess I would say uh, my parents bought my first car because they signed for the loan and I had to pay it back. Um, We we went camping one weekend with the farm truck and the camper, but I also worked for a neighboring farmer, it just so happens to be, you'll see in a minute, connected to this a pig farm. And I didn't want to leave the campground to go do the chores that I was hired to do, and uh, I decided I didn't have a choice. And so I get my car, it's a 1971 red Mustang. Okay. And I wish I still had that car, it would be worth a lot of money today. And so anyway, I leave the campground, my dad says the last words, be careful, don't drive too fast, pay attention, it rained last night, sure, sure, I got this. Well, I probably was five miles down the road, come over a hill because I was taking back roads I didn't know, and there was a stop sign. I slam on the brakes, the car goes sideways and right into a stop sign. Rats. The back of the car has this giant crease in the fender. I get to the place I have to do the chores at, thinking, well, I can take care of this. And I get a hammer and I'm, I'm trying to knock this thing back out, right? I was thinking, well, I can cover this up. And by the time I finished, did my chores, drove back, I had convinced myself, he probably won't even notice this, <laughs> right? Nobody will even notice until I pulled in and everybody looks at the car and says, what did you do? I, I use that story to say this, we tend to treat sin that way, right? We, we can minimize it, We can make it look better than what it really is. We can act like it really doesn't exist, but it exists. And the truth is, Jesus was constantly trying to help his audience hear the seriousness, the severity of sin and not mask it. And so this particular instance that we'll look at today, find in your Bibles Luke chapter 15, If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back. I urge you to go grab one. You can look on your phone or your device. It's up to you. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells three parables in an effort to proclaim the gospel and help people see the seriousness of sin and the goodness of God. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. This parable starts with these words. Here's the congregation that's gathered around Jesus. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's the congregation, that's the group gathered. You've got tax collectors and sinners, kind of the outcasts, if you will, those that were looked down upon by the religious elite, which are the scribes and the Pharisees. But you know what they both have in common? Sin. Both of those groups had sin issues that had to be dealt with. The tax collectors and sinners probably would have thought, There's not much chance for me. I'm kind of outside the circle that could be accepted by God. So maybe they even thought it would be impossible for God to welcome me back. And the Pharisees and the scribes would have thought, I can manage my sin by doing all these religious works. And in doing so, I can kind of mask it, make it not look too bad. Well, Jesus speaks to both groups, again, to address sin, but also to provide hope. The gospel is the message Jesus proclaimed. I want you to read along with me, starting in verse 11. This is the third parable in chapter 15, and the one I want us to focus on. And so Jesus, remember, speaking to this crowd, preaching, teaches this parable to emphasize a point. Verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later... And he was longing to be fed with the pigs, or with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate, let's stop there for a moment. Jesus uses this parable to help his listeners see the severity of their sin, but the goodness of God. You know, it's interesting, until we really understand how bad our sin is, we don't have too big a need for God, do we? As Jesus taught this lesson, and uses this parable, there's some pieces that are so hard for us to understand because we're not of that culture. But let me try and help you get what he was trying to point out. Two sons, an older and a younger. The younger son comes to him and says this in essence. Dad, I, I kind of wish you were dead so I could just have your inheritance. You're you're really not that important to me. So just like you were dead, how about write me a check? Just give me my share. Our relationship's not really that important. And I don't really care how much it hurts you because I want what I want and I want it when I want it. Write me the check. So the father does that. He writes him the check. He's probably a wealthy father from the sounds of this parable. Has lots of material goods. And so the son takes it, cashes the check, takes off. Because, you know, there's a lot more fun to be had in life than living with the father. He wasn't very wise because he spent everything he had. Now, here's the funny part of this story that's hard for us. After everything was spent, rather than turn and go home right away, he goes a little deeper in his sin. He goes to a pig farmer. Now, pigs are off limits for Jewish folks. They're they're unclean. You don't even get near them because they would defile you. Yet he is willing to be hired out to be with pigs. And not only that, he's willing to eat pig food. And so this son blows everything. He is arrogant, prideful and just keeps going deeper and deeper in his sin until he comes to his senses, the text says. I think as Jesus taught this, there were a couple of lessons on sin that I want us to miss this morning. First, all sin is against God. All sin is against God. The text says that twice. So before we get too tricky and creative with our sin and think, what's well, not that big of a deal, all sin is against God. Sin, secondly, produces a disregard for relationships. The sin that the son begins to live in had no regard for the father or his older brother because life was about him. Selfishness, self-centeredness drove him to disregard for relationships. The other thing that Jesus is teaching here is the deceptiveness of sin. Sin's pretty deceptive, it looks pretty enticing, doesn't it? It starts off to look pretty helpless, looks kind of attractive, got a pocket full of money, the son says, let's go have a good time, forget about the relationship, peace with the father, let's go enjoy life. Sin's deceptive and it's progressive, You can't manage it. It never stays the same until you deal with it. Sin always separates you from God because all sin is against God. Isaiah 59, verse 2, says this Your sin has separated you from God. That's the problem. And so what do we do with our sin? What do we uh, do? Well, you either try to manage it and try and deal with it on your own or you repent of it and let God deal with it. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't say in this parable the son tried to earn more money somehow and go back home and pay the father. It doesn't say that he devised some scheme To go back and say, I'm sorry. No, he simply acknowledges his sin and goes home hoping the father will receive him back. All sin will come down to this for us. How bad is it? What am I going to do with it? And will I trust God in his ability to help me? That was the son's decision. The text says he comes to him senses and makes the trip back home. Now, let's think about this for a minute as he makes his trip back home. It says he went to a distant country, so he probably had a long way to go home and a lot of time to think about how bad his sin was. He also would go home like this, because memory didn't have any money. Any clothes that he was wearing would have smelled like pigs. I've taken care of pigs. They didn't come off your clothes very easy. So, So he would have smelled like pigs. He would have been dirty, disheveled, poor, with absolutely nothing. And what's the first thing we learn when the father sees him? Here's where I want us to shift. Once we understand how bad sin is, we will now be able to understand how good God is. Jesus wants to emphasize in this parable the goodness of God and receiving sinners back to himself. You know, the story is really not that much about the son. It is. But I'm convinced that most people miss the main character of this parable. It's the Father. All scriptures about God, folks. Jesus uses this parable to teach us and to show us how good God is. So there's four things if you're taking notes this morning. that I want you to write down about what Jesus is teaching about the Father, about God, this morning. First, God is relational and personal. God is relational and he's personal. You know, I fear one of the things that happens when we get caught up in a religious church attendance mode, is it's hard for us to understand exactly how good God is. And and we cease to recognize the personal nature of God. Here's what I mean. Ask yourself this. How often do you come to church and think of it like this list of checks? Well, I came to church, so God's probably pretty happy with me. I I prayed before most meals this week. God's pretty happy with me. It becomes this transactional nature that we try to rely on with God and miss the personal component of this. God is relational. Look at what happens in verse 20 when the sun returns. It's this Picture of the father who misses his son and then longs to see him again. And it says, while wow, he's a long way off, he does something that's astounding to the hearers of Jesus' time. The father doesn't stand on the porch and say, You know, come crawling home, you know, you really, really messed up. The text says the father runs to the son. No respectable, wealthy father would ever do that in Jesus' time. Never. He, He runs to the son. He wraps his arms around him. The original language actually says grabs him around the neck and almost goes down to the ground with him. He's, he's hugging him, he's kissing him. He is so excited his son is coming home. Not only would a father not run to a son like that, he certainly wouldn't grab hold of a smelly pig manure clothed son. G- Jesus tells this parable so that people, the outcasts, The sinners and the tax collectors, the Pharisees and the scribes understand that God is a God who welcomes home anyone and everyone that would be willing to return. And we'll talk about how we must return in a minute. Psalm 116 says this, I I love the Lord because he has inclined his ear to me. It's this picture of God always Bending, bowing, listening, communicating. God is a relational God. He's not some mystic existence that you can't know because He knows you. The question is, do you know Him? And God is relational. We started the series in Colossians 1 realizing that. All things have been created by God and for God. You and I have been created by God and for God. And as long as our relationship is broken because of sin, there's something missing in your life. The relationship you were created to have must be put back intact. Second thing that I see Jesus teaching in this text about God, about the Father, is that God is full of grace and he's full of mercy. Again, think about what takes place with the Father. Not only does he run to his son, but we don't see anything here saying, hey, You owe me a hundred grand from that inheritance, how are you gonna take care of that? Hey, you broke my heart when you left. You know how bad you hurt me? It's gonna be a long time before you get back in my good graces. No, it says the Father is full of grace and mercy. We use that language in church a lot. Let's go back and make sure we get what those two terms mean. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. When it says God is merciful, it means that God, as we see in the parable with his father, doesn't give us what we deserve. What does son deserve? He deserves to be told, hey, just turn around head on back. Someday maybe, but not today. On the other side of mercy mercy is grace. It means getting what you don't deserve. So not only is God merciful, he's graceful. I mean, the son gets everything back in terms of his relationship and status. We'll look at that in a minute, But, but God is full of mercy and full of grace, There was nothing, absolutely nothing that the son could do to earn his way back to the father. It was given to him because the father was merciful and full of grace. Again, if we don't understand the depth of our sin, how in the world would you understand grace and mercy? How do you understand forgiveness when we minimize our need of forgiveness? God is full of grace and mercy. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Just a few books forward in your scriptures. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Apply that to this parable. The great love of God expressed in his mercy who was dead in his sins because of God's grace is received back. Third thing that I want us to see in this text about God expressed as a father is found in verse 21. God is a forgiving God. I I mean, there was absolutely nothing the son had or could have to come back with. Do you you see how completely broke this guy was? I, I mean, he comes home with absolutely nothing, only, listen to this, a knowledge of who the father was before he left. He trusted. He relied on the fact that he knew his father well enough, that when he returned, the father would accept him back. We don't want to miss the fact that it's God and God's action alone that forgives us. We, we talk a lot about the gospel here because we, we take it very serious that we only have one message, it's the same one Jesus preached. It's the gospel, right? Which helps us understand how we can be forgiven of our sin. Look, look how the son comes home. Empty, nothing, destitute, smelly, broken, sad. But he comes home with the very thing that everyone must count on. He he comes home repentant. There's another word we use in the church that gets a little confusing. Apology is different than repentance. Apology is a part of repentance. Repentance means to turn and go the other direction and it comes from a change of affection in our heart. All of a sudden in the pig pen, The son remembered the love of his father, which changed his affection back to a knowledge of who God was and a desire to be restored back in relationship with the father. There's a deep regret and remorse. And when he comes home, he doesn't minimize his sin He doesn't come home like I did with the car, thinking, well, I knocked that den out. It's not too bad. I, I mean, he comes home knowing that he had sinned. He had broken relationship with the Father and that everything he did was against his Father. Unless you know the depth of your sin you'll never understand the goodness and forgiveness of God. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive our sin. The son comes home, not minimizing, not calling it a mistake, not calling it just an error in judgment, but comes home saying, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I'm not coming back asking for, you know, the same nice bedroom in your mansion. I'm not coming back asking for all the good stuff I had before I left. Hey, you can put me out back with the servants. I don't deserve to even make this trip home. But here I am. This series really was born out of a concern I have for all of us. And that is we try to be so self-righteous and minimize our sin that we miss the Christ who is the center of our faith. And so when we talk to our friends and our family about our faith, we tend to describe the church we attend more than the Jesus who welcomes us home and forgives our sin. Fourth, I think Jesus is teaching this last piece, as God is a restoring God. So not only is the son come home repentant and the father forgives him, but look how he restores the son. There's three things that the text mentions that happens in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Here's how that would have been understood. First, the father gives him a ring. The ring would have signified that he had authority. The ring would have signified he's back in the family. Back in those days, any kind of legal document uh, or, or anything associated like that would be a, a ring with hot wax and it would seal it, showing not this is official. <laughs> and so the son comes back, not asking for anything. The restoring father says, You're, you're back in the family, son. Here's the ring that'll show everybody you're mine. And then he says, Get the best robe. Kind of a sign of royalty, clean clothes. Imagine how that must have felt. He had a nice bath and got rid of the pig clothes. You're you're back in. Give him the best robe. Didn't say just give him a scrap robe, it says, give him the best robe. And it says, put shoes on his feet, signifying he was not a slave, but he's free. See, see, if you don't understand how bad your sin is, how, how can you even begin to fathom the goodness of God like that's expressed here? I, I mean, think about it. A broke, smelly, disrespectful, disheveled son comes home only to be fully restored to the family. Man, is that good news? One message Jesus always preached. And that's this. All of us are like the Son. All of us are like the Son. And you're either back home and reunited with the Father, or you're still out chasing pig pens. There, there's some of you here today that um, are just realizing I'm, I'm like the sun in the pig pen. I didn't want anything to do with God. I would, I would gladly take all of the creation and enjoy it, but I don't want anything to do with the creator. I, I'm happy to smell like pigs. Well, you'll be unhappy to smell like pigs at some point in your life. Some of you are maybe even out of... The pig pen standing right at the edge of the pig slop. And you're contemplating, do I go home? Is the pig pen kind of good? Like one foot in, one foot out. Some of you are on the way back, but you're afraid. You're afraid. How in the world could God accept all the sin in my life? And for some of us, this message should be a great reminder of the time we were in the pig pen. And then when we sing and when we pray and when we read the scriptures, the joy it should produce should come from a reminder that God the Father welcomed you and I home, calls us a son and daughter again, puts her best robe on us, says, I'm glad you're home. You were dead, but now you're alive. Which one of those people are you this morning? Are, are, you, are you trying to live life on your own, snubbing the loving father and leaving and living on your own? Uh, Are you you contemplating even now? Uh, You're right. God is a good God. My sin is bad, but I know how good God is because the scriptures point that out to me. What do we do with this? What do you do with this? Well, the son had one hope. Repent and be restored. That's our only hope. To trust in Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to be restored back to God. To know for a fact that if we repent, God is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins and restore us in righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, as we think on this parable, as we think about what you taught, it's a needed reminder for us, whether we're still in the pig pen or whether we're on our way back, Or whether we already have the robe, the ring, and the sandals on our feet. For those that are in the pig pen and contemplating coming home, Lord, I would pray that the deceptiveness of sin would not allow them to miss the goodness and forgiveness that you offer. Lord, that they would know that if they would acknowledge their sin and separation from you, if they would place their belief in Christ and Christ alone to reconcile them to you, O oh God, and then if they confess that and repent, you will receive them back. It's not that hard. That's what has to happen at the same time. It is so very hard. Because we want to live for ourselves. And there's something attractive about pig pens. Lord, for those who are here this morning that have returned, may this provide for us a reminder of your grace and mercy that saved us. And may that reminder fuel our worship and our service to you. So Lord, this morning, Lord, this morning, thank you for this parable. Thank you for the example and knowledge of who you are, O God. You who are relational and personal. You who are full of grace and mercy. You who forgive when we return in repentance. And you, O God, that restore. That is the message of Christ. We love you and thank you for it. Amen.